What's up, Overcomers? Welcome to another episode of the Overcoming You podcast. I am your host, Josh Canuti. Please give us a rating, give us a review. We'd love to hear your comments, your thoughts, your insights on how we're doing so far in the podcast as a whole. My guest today is a all-around badass, but also just a sweetheart of an individual. She's one of those people that you talk to and instantly puts a smile on your face, or at least it did when I was listening to her or talking to her. She is a Olympic judo athlete. She's currently attending Harvard. She's getting ready to drop her own YouTube channel, her own podcast based around judo and empowering women. And I just really, really enjoy talking to her. And when you listen to this podcast, I want you to listen to the fact that she's just an elite individual. Yes, she's an elite athlete in her realm of athletics in judo, but she's just a pro. She's an elite person. I want you to listen to when she talks about negativity or overcoming haters or difficulties. She either uses those those times or those things to fuel her and overcome, or she finds the positive in that situation. And she does it in such a joyful, happy-go-lucky manner that you may miss it if you're not listening intently. So please welcome Olympic judo athlete, Nicole Stout. So how many, how many days a week do you practice? Let's see. So Monday, Monday evening, Tuesday morning, Tuesday evening, Wednesday evening, Thursday evening, Friday morning, Friday evening, Saturday morning. Sometimes there's a Saturday evening and then there's there's Sunday morning. So everyone listening, you want to be be a professional? Do you have that type (laughs) of work ethic? Nicole Stout, one of the baddest women on the planet. And do not humble brag. I've seen your, uh, I'm going to mispronounce it. I've seen your Ichimata throws and your, uh, uh, was it tri- Triotashi? I've seen your throws. Triotoshi, throw. you got the first one. Hey, right. pretty close. <laughs> Nicole Stout, one of the premier ju- women's judo coming up for Olympics in 2020. How do you feel? Uh, super excited, especially because. Um, I know that I not only get to try to uh, qualify for the 2020 Olympic Games, but also for the 2024, since I'm considered relatively young Uh, in my sport. So, yay! Cool, cool. So, on this podcast, we talk about overcoming negative self-doubt, self-image issues. We try to focus on what I believe to be one of the most important things in this world, which is what we think about ourselves when we are by ourselves. And I know for a lot of us, some of our identity kind of starts in high school. So if you had to describe yourself in high school, how would you describe? Were you a popular kid, quiet, jock, outgoing, introvert? Uh-huh. Um, I was actually homeschooled all the way through high school. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, my, my favorite joke is uh, I was bullied in homeschool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. It was awkward for me. To say the least, because I didn't actually, so everyone in, in high school, they're all plagued by a whole bunch of hormones and puberty and everything's going absolutely haywire. And for me, it was even, for me, I feel it was worse because I hit everything so much later than everyone else. Okay. So, you know, most girls my age were starting to hit puberty and all those horrid hormones and stuff at 13. That didn't happen to me till 18. Oh, wow. So as I'm leaving high school. Yeah. And so... I still had the hormones, just nothing had changed. I always felt a bit lonely. Like I didn't really have a lot of friends, which didn't help because I was homeschooled. Um, Mm -hmm. My friends all came from all the sports I was doing. So I was a, 
Well, I was a gymnast at the beginning of high school, and then I actually transferred into being a judo player um, halfway through because the the retirement age for gymnastics, especially rhythmic gymnastics, which is the one, you know, with like the ribbon and the hoop yeah. and all of that, is actually very, very early. So most oh. girls were considered retired at around 16. Okay. Wow. So I had quit that sport and I started judo simply because my dad told me not to. He was like, no, you're going to get hurt. You've been a ballerina, a gymnast all your life. That's crazy. And I was like, well, now me as an angsty teenager, I have to do this. I'll prove you, you wrong. <laughs> yeah. I'll prove you wrong, dad. Oh, exactly. And so I did, I didn't even like judo at first just because it was so like all the falls and everything. It was brutal on the body and I have like a relatively low pain tolerance. So that was rough. And I just did it only because people told me I couldn't. And then after about a year, I, I eventually fell in love with the sport myself. And then, you know, here we are. <laughs> yeah. So how long have you been do practicing judo now? I guess now it'd be about eight years, maybe going on nine. I'd have to look at the date. <laughs> okay. Eight years going on nine. You said so something there that I wanted to, that I like to touch on. You said you kind of wanted to prove people wrong or wanted to, someone said you mm -hmm. couldn't do it. And so you ended up doing it anyway. Do you know where that started or, or have you just always kind of been instilled with that or? Yeah, I think I, I know I definitely get my stubbornness from both of my parents. My parents are both incredibly driven and stubborn people. I know that, you know, my dad hadn't paid much attention to his studies and stuff in high school. And, you know, that led to a lot of failing grades, but he was really passionate about sports. And so when his high school counselor brought him in and was like, Hey, don't bother with college. You should go into welding. He was really offended by that. Yeah. And he was like, well, I'm going to show you. And so, you know, he became, now he's like the leading scientist in sports nutrition. He's Whoa. got a PhD. He's the Dean at UCF. Whoa. Like, so craziness and then my mom you know she is incredibly smart she is um uh she has a uh oh gosh she's a pharmacist mm -hmm. and so she has a farm d and then when we were toddlers you know she was home you know homeschooling us me and my brother um and she was super busy and she was you know, first she's like, you know what? I'm gonna go to law school because I can. Whoa. And so she went to law school, got a law degree while raising two toddlers, which is insane to me. Whoa. So they're just incredibly driven, stubborn type of I'm going to be the best I can because you said you don't think I can. Yeah. So I think I just kind of inherited it from watching them. Yeah, you had a good <laughs> model. You had a good model. Did you train over in Japan for a little bit? A couple times actually. Okay. What how'd so that come I about? Was, over in Japan for, um, I believe the first time it was about three weeks, and the second time was about, was well, probably about the same, about two, two, three weeks. How did that? How did that come about? Did you just get an invitation, or you're like, hey, I want to go um, to where it all started? So my previous coach before my current one was a very, very high level athlete in Japan, and they because they're the ones that invented the sport, they yeah. have some of the best athletes in the world. So he happened to be one of them, and when he retired, he came to the US, and you know, he's in his 30s, so he's still, you know, fighting with everybody, you know, so it's very fun because I got to go with him. Sure. And yeah. so he trained me for five years, and one of the things he really wanted to do for the longest time was bring his students over back to his club in Japan, and also just see a whole bunch of different cities and the culture and everything in Japan. So we were over there for about three weeks. He brought a group of us and I, we are all still like really, really good friends. The whole group that went over, we went to so many different cities, we went to Tokyo, Hiroshima, we went to cool. uh, Nagasaki, just so many. And we got to see, 
you know, the just amazing culture and the confusing subways and uh. the amazing, you know, training that they had over there. So um, the year after that, I ended up going back and I got invited by um, Koga, which is an incredibly big name in judo. He's okay. like pretty much a legend in judo. And so he actually runs an all women's dojo no way. at the university. It's known as Top Gun. I'm trying to remember. That, that's what it's known really? as. Really? That was hilarious. Oh, that's uh, hilarious. And so I ended up going and training with him at this really exclusive thing that they don't normally allow outsiders. It's at a university. So yeah. they don't normally allow outsiders, but they allowed me in a second time. And that training was brutal. <laughs> sure. But I loved it. And I'm, you know, I'm still here. So. Yeah. Were, were you um, timid or what was kind of going through your mind when you're going over to Japan, either the first time or second time, or you're like uh, a little bit scared? Are you excited? Or you're like, hey, I don't know if I'm good enough or what's um, kind of going through your mind? first time was more of the excitement of, yay, I'm traveling. I get to go see yeah, another yeah. country because that was like the first time. The second time actually was I was more nervous the second time because I went by myself. Oh. I didn't have like a group of other foreigners that it's like, oh, well, you know, we're just bebopping through the country. We don't understand the customs. Yeah. Whereas now I'm by myself and because I'm being invited back, you know, I want that to continue happening. So I was just really nervous about, oh, I have to be on my best behavior. And I'd been trying to study Japanese so I could have kind of some mild conversation. And then they have so many different alphabets to learn mm -hmm. when you read. So I was studying that forever to hopefully help myself out with the subways because if my coach who was born and raised in japan is getting lost on the subways i am i'm not in for a good time right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can tell you when my wife and i we travel we're very blessed to be able to travel quite a bit to a couple countries each year and mm -hmm. when we go to like thailand or something for like a month or two before we'll try to just learn a little bit because i think yeah. learning the language just speaks like you're trying to do it and for me, maybe it's just my mental thing that I have to get over. I don't want to feel like the a-hole American, like, why don't you speak English, <laughs> oh, you know? Like, I try oh, so yeah. hard to, to be on their level because that's what you're going there, not to uh, put yourself in there. So that's really, really and, cool. And most every I, – I found at least that, you know, when I'm in another country and I at least attempt to try to communicate in their own language, they're even more helpful. Yes. They're more willing to be like, okay, she tried. It was horrible. Yeah. But she tried. <laughs> right. So I, that my mom understood the importance of that. And so I know a little bit of so many different languages because she was like, oh, you know, Russian is going to be important. You're going to go to Russia one day. So we're going to have you learn Russian and Japanese and Spanish and French and so many. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, awesome. It seems like part of your success is that you have look up to or you have these mentors, you know, whether it be your mom, your dad, your coach. But one of the really cool things that I heard in I forget in just doing some background research is that you have some people that you look up to in your sport, you know, Ronda Rousey, but one of the coolest ones that I was so excited that you put on there was uh, Rusty. And yes. that one there was so cool And her life. If it's not a movie, it needs to be a movie right? for some I'm sort. Surprised it isn't. Yeah. It's literally a modern day Mulan story. I don't understand how it's not like, why are we doing Mulan remakes? Yeah, right. yes, that's amazing. Yeah. Do you obviously you're familiar with all of our backstory? Do you want to give the listeners a little bit of kind of what what she did and probably one of the reasons why you're sitting here getting ready to go to and probably yeah. one of the only reasons if it wasn't for her, I don't know what would have happened to women's for judo. Sure. So it, and it, what's crazy to me is that this wasn't that long ago, right? You know, it wasn't that long ago at all. No. So since the beginning, women have been participating in judo, but weren't allowed to compete mm -hmm. because it was seen as, you know, 
for women, they're just learning it for self-defense, whereas men, they're the ones that can go and fight each other, if that right. makes sense. Yep. Um, and I believe it wasn't until the, let's see, I'm trying to remember the dates. I think it's like 1956 but, or so. Yeah, it was around, around there. there. I remember, uh, I believe her name is Renee Kanagogi, yep. and her nickname is Rusty. Yeah. So she actually, <laughs> she taped down her chest with athletic tape. So it looked like maybe she just had a major injury as opposed to that she's a woman. Yeah. And she signed up for a tournament in the Northeast and she ended up meddling and it was against all men. And she signed up as Rusty Kanakogi. She didn't say that she was a woman or anything. She just kind of, she had very short hair as well. Yeah. So she literally, she pulled a Mulan, pretended uh, to be a man, competed did very well. And then when people found out, they actually forced her to return the medal. Yeah. And so this made her incredibly angry, you know, that women weren't allowed to compete. There were no competitions. It didn't exist. It wasn't allowed. And so she actually became one of the first women to be allowed to train with the men at the Kodokan, which is where judo was invented in Japan. So it's this huge dojo yeah. that's beautiful that I've gotten to go, and it's just it's an experience. So but I cool. also wasn't allowed to train with the men while I was there. Really? They actually, yeah, they they actually have the women train on an entirely different level. Oh. So okay. they have so this building is several levels high, and the main one is this huge mat that you can train on, and it's beautiful. And there's like a uh, a thing around it that you can sit in and watch, and it's like it's like an amphitheater kind of. Yeah. For judo, which is amazing, and then. The women have to train in like these sad little side rooms that kind of look like ballet studios. Right. So, you know, it still very much exists even today. The separation of, you know, men are get to train in this amphitheater and women are in, you know, the little side room. Yeah. But she was one of the she was the first woman to be allowed to train with the men there, which is still amazing even today. And yeah. so she became a huge advocate for women being able to compete. And she actually mortgaged her own home to be able to host a competition no for women in New York. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. So she is, uh, she, and then later on in life, she um, threatened to sue, you know, the uh, Olympic committee. Yeah. Uh, unless they allowed women, you know, judo to be in the Olympics. And so I believe the year that she did that, they allowed women's judo to be displayed. So they had kata, which is just uh, forms pretty much. So mm -hmm. people like going through the motions like, oh, this is a throw. This is also a throw. But no actual fighting happened until the Olympics after that, where they allowed women's judo competition to actually take place. Yeah. So, that, yeah. She is such a bad badass. And so... For just in case anyone missed what she was talking about, so she was at that at that uh, YMCA tournament back in 1956. She had short hair, taped down her breast to look like a guy, beat all of the guys, mm -hmm. and then I thought the coolest thing, and this is just a little thing in the story, is that you know when she was asked for like, "Hey, are you a woman?" She, I know it sounds simple, but she goes, "Yes, I am." Like she didn't lie or try to cover it up. No. She was straightforward. Yeah. So not only she. Wrong no, that, you know? no, and then she <laughs> was the whole reason, like you said, whole reason. Not until the '80s that yes. women's judo actually got into the Olympics. So, mm -hmm. like you said, it's really, really recent, and I just think it's really cool that you know you have all these people that you look up to, but you looked up to that one too. Yeah. Uh, I and just it's thought that's crazy really cool. because the coaches that I know now, I know female coaches that were competitors in the very first. You know, Olympics uh, where women were allowed to be in for judo. Yeah. You know, I've, I know like some of the medalists and stuff and you still see them around. And it's just weird to think, you know, because they're not 
old at all. So it's, it's just weird right. to think that they were the first ones and it's still, it's like a generation, not yeah. that long at all. What one person ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. like, it's not that it, you think it's like, Oh, you know, a long time ago. No. no, you look at the history. It just happened. <laughs> yeah. And so correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there's um, 10 degrees of black belt in judo. And during yes. Rusty's days, you could train, but you couldn't get anything higher than fifth degree. I assume yeah. that's changed now. Yeah. You, and, you even are in to... um, Japan, women weren't allowed to get the first degree. Really? For example. Yeah, it was only, it's only really recently, within the past few years, that they actually did away with that. What they did for women was when they achieved black belt, they actually got a black belt with a white stripe through it. That was supposed to be somewhere below, right below the first degree of black belt because they felt that women could never achieve that, yeah. you know, let alone the rest of the ranks. And so, you know, within the last few years, they actually did away with that. And so women are no longer required in Japan to wear the white with their black belts. Good. So, well, yeah. at least everything's going in the right direction. Oh, yeah. So. Slow, very slowly, but surely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you said something in one of your interviews, I forget which one, but you said something that I really, really agree with, is that you feel that all women should participate or at least try to take some sort of martial arts a little yeah. bit. What, what's your That's thought process behind that? I just, I just think it's one of the most empowering things a woman can do, you know, as a girl, when you, you're not only you're learning self-defense, you're with other women that are learning self-defense, you're making great friends, you have the confidence knowing that you can defend yourself, and it's just, it's a beautiful sport, and I feel like there's not enough appreciation put into the grace, the technique, the beauty that's put into, you know, a perfect throw, a perfect, you know, yeah. uh, tap out, just, it's, it can be very pretty, and I, I feel like women are the best way of showcasing casing that and there needs to be more women in it yeah in sport there's fully, not enough not nearly no no i fully fully agree i know i've said this at nauseum on my podcast but so i've been in martial arts the majority of my my life gr growing up but in no way shape or form i want to make this very perfectly clear no way shape or form i'm anywhere near your level or anything like that <laughs> but i just enjoy enjoy the art especially uh muay thai and mm. one of the things that I really strongly believe, is, and I totally agree with you, is that every single child, somewhere 6 to 16, should go through some sort of martial arts. Because that's still mm -hmm. confidence that you get. It, it, not that you need to be in a physical confrontation, but just in, when you're having conversations with an authority figure or with a boss or, or with yeah. a, a friend, you stand your ground more. And mm -hmm. not that it's ever going to get into a confrontation physical, but for some reason, that confidence inside of you just you don't like back down. You don't get pushed around. And I just yeah. think we're really missing missing the boat because it's just at so much value to people. I think that in meditation, kids should go through in, in high school for some reason. For I sure. just feel like really it's a fantastic way, you know, for kids and, you know, youth to learn, you know, respect and honor and all of these and then the culture that all of these sports originate from, I think it's, you know, it's a martial art. And there's nothing that, you know, treats, uh, teaches uh, respect better than, you know, martial. Yeah. But it's just, you know, it teaches you to respect the sport, respect others that do it, and respect the person that teaches you. And I feel like that's a fantastic value to have throughout the rest of your life. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of transitioning into when you're practicing or when you're training in judo, there has to have been times when you woke up and you went, you know what? I don't want to go today or, <laughs> or I, I don't want to do that throw. I don't want to do those bear crawls, oh, whatever God. it is for one, has that happened in two? How oh do you overcome? God. How do you overcome that? <laughs> I have 
it's like every day. <laughs> it's, judo is not a nice sport to the body in the sense yeah. of you will wake up feeling like a 90 year old grandma every day and you just wake up and you're like, what? Why, why am I doing this? Everything hurts. And then, you know, you know, it kind of all washes away all the doubts and everything whenever you get a really nice throw or you see like a technique just come together that you've been working on so hard and you finally get it and you're like, yes, this feels amazing. The adrenaline's going and you're like, yeah, this is why I do it. And it's just, you know, hard to remember that when you wake up at six in the morning and you're like, dear God, what am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you hit on, hit that on the head. We, we as um, people have such like short-term memories, but the yeah. cool thing is, is that those little tiny successes, those little pieces of progress, those feel so much better than the, I don't want to do it. I don't want to want to uh, get up or I hurt or, I, or I'm tired. Yeah. And so I really believe it. You know, we've heard it before that progress equals happiness. So just keep going. And once you have that one little win, or you, even when you get that yellow belt or that first little throw or something, mm -hmm. you'll feel that and it will get you through those times. So just remember it's all addicting. the good stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Progress yeah, the, is addicting. Those adrenaline rushes are addicting. Any little success, you're like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> even so, as we warm up in uh, um, Muay Thai, we always have to do 20 right kicks, 20 left kicks, and, mm -hmm. you know, progressively get stronger and stuff like that. But when you hear that perfect snap on the bag and it like mm. echoes throughout throughout the gym, yeah. you're like, you're like heck yeah! Like even in your head and all that different stuff, you know, you try to act oh, yeah. like it's no, nothing yeah. big, but you're like, yes, that's how I'm talking oh, that's about. Super relatable. Yeah. Because uh, at practice for us, we have to do 120 throws, and so we have crash pads that you know, so that you're not taking it on the mat because that would be absolutely brutal. Yeah. But we have these crash pads, and so you're like throwing. And our coach is notorious for being the most picky technical coach in the country. He is insanely hard to get, you know, oh, that's a perfect throw. Mm -hmm. It almost doesn't exist. <laughs> He's, so when you hear, oh, that was good, Nicole, I'm like, oh, yes, <laughs> finally. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So kind of switching gears a little bit in when you've been growing up, you've had some quote unquote haters throughout, throughout your life in, can you kind of discuss that a little bit? Kind of what were you referring to? And then what do you do inside to overcome that? Because that's difficult for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, it just, the different types of haters, haters, you have, you know, changes over your lifetime, for sure. So, you know, when I was really young, it was even members of my family that disapproved of the fact that I was homeschooled and friends that made fun of me for being homeschooled. And then when I was in gymnastics, I started with regular gymnastics and ballet. I was bullied there because no normally it was actually the coaches <laughs> that did more bullying than the teammates. Mm. Uh, what they said hurt me more. And that was, it was normally pertaining to, Oh, she needs to eat less. So she's skinny. And Oh, la, la, la. and I look back and I look at the picture and I was like, I was super thin. I don't yeah. know what, what they wanted from me, but yeah, they wanted me to be really skinny. And then because I was homeschooled, I was, you know, made fun of for not having a lot of friends. And, you know, when you see the authority, the coach making fun of someone, it's very easy to kind of jump mm. on that bandwagon and, oh, let's all make fun of the little nerdy girl. Yeah. So, you know, so I dealt with that as, you know, a kid leading into a teenager. And then it just kind of changed into more, it would be other like adults mm -hmm. then disapproving of like my life choices, I guess they were like, Oh, well that's not normal. You're going to 
be homeschooled through high school? That's kind of odd. You're not going to go to a real school. You're not going to get socialization, you know, all of this. And, um, oh, you're not going to go to these, you know, school events because you're going to be training instead. These are all, they just don't like different. And, you know, a lot of people, if it's not yeah. what you did, to, it's going to be weird, except you don't normally tell the other person it's weird, but yeah. for whatever reason. So as I grew up, just kind of getting used to understanding that my path is different than other people's path and that is okay mm -hmm. <laughs> and I can do what I want and they can do what they want you know and so long as nobody's hurting each other it should be fine yeah and so to just kind of ignore what they say and just continue and that you know kind of mentality has really helped because you know mm -hmm. even now I get people that I have family members I have friends I have adults mm -hmm. in my life that are constantly telling me, oh, you need to do this instead, or, oh, you should be doing this. What are you doing? I don't understand. And then there's still the people that are like, you need to lose weight. <laughs> that I, oh, you have no idea. Do you go throw those people? <laughs> so, it, but the thing is, sometimes they're people that are close to you mm. that, you know, they can, it'll be coming from a good place. Yeah. You know, it'll be coming for, you know, they want the best for me. And I understand that I just, we just fundamentally disagree as to what that is. And so you just have to understand that most of the time it's not malicious. Yeah. Most, you know, especially as an adult, most of the time, the advice and all of that isn't malicious. It's just people, you know, they only have their own path that they understand. And they're just trying to put that on you. And you know what? You just have to remember you're going to do what yeah. you're going to do. And that's what I believe is best for me. So that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. It's one thing that I want the listeners to understand is that, you know, when you hear block out the haters or don't care what other people think, it's yeah. really easy for the guy next door. If he comes over here and goes, hey, Josh, your podcast sucks. Like, well, yeah. I don't know you. But usually what happens is it's somebody close to you oh, yeah. and it rips you apart. Yeah. And if you didn't do what you the other part to get through that, which is know exactly what you want to do inside, not for other people. And as mm -hmm. long as you're on your right path and doing the best that you can do, it's going to hurt, but you can still push push forward to it. So you're always going to have haters, and unfortunately, it's going to be some people that are close to you, which is going to hurt For even sure. more. Because it's easy to ignore, you know, the random guy yeah. in my messages. It's like, you're fat. And I'm like, well, you know what? That's what it is. Oh. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when I get an email or a text message from someone that's, you know, a family member or someone that's very close to me with a long, detailed description as to why my life choices are incorrect and how I need to change. And otherwise I'm like disappointing either the family or, or, uh, you know, just representing someone wrong or something along those lines. However, they think I faulted it's, it's tough because in the moment it's like, it, it'll hurt. Sure. You're like, Oh man, you know, I love this person very much. And they think that I'm pretty much either a disappointment or however, and it sucks. And so normally how I get over it yeah. is I will open a Word document or a notepad of some sort, and I'll write down everything I feel about how their message is, you know, incorrect, you know, how I think they could, you know, change their thinking. Oh, that's just rant onto a piece of paper, and then you throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> so that way they never see it. And you don't have to worry about hurting their feelings because again, they might, they obviously don't agree with your opinions. So right. you're never going to see eye to eye. So it just feels good to just kind of get it all out there and then throw it away. So it doesn't hurt anyone. Yeah. So that's the best way I found with coping. <laughs> that is actually really, really valuable. 
you know, a lot of people do that in different ways. That that there, I actually haven't thought about that before, but I've talked about this before. But for me, so I go to therapy and just being able to talk to somebody without any sort of judgment, you know, even yeah. though my wife is the best person on the face of the planet and all that type of stuff I can share, but it's easier to share just unfiltered, no, mm -hmm. nothing whatsoever. And you do that through a word document. I do it through therapy, but it's really, really valuable. Yeah. So if people are out there and you're, you have some haters, type it all out, be as mean as possible, put all the, the bad words <laughs> in there that you want and then just yep. throw, throw it away. So that's yep. really, really, that's a really, really good physical Aww. tactic to do. So that's really, yeah, really I cool. I appreciate it. That's yeah. Well, it's what's worked for me, at least. <laughs> <laughs> you said something else in a um, in one of your interviews that I really, really liked. I want to see if you could expand on it. Is that mm -hmm. sometimes you look at what is the hardest thing to do, and you go, "Hey, I want to go that way." Oh, for, for sure. <laughs> first of all, what what did you mean by that? And once again, how did that how did that all start? So this is very much referring to the fact that I get a lot of messages from people being like, "Why are you doing this? You you always, you know." There's the easy way and then the hard way, and you always choose the hard way. We just want the best for you. Why are you doing this to yourself? Um, and that's this is generally where I fundamentally disagree with people. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of having having done everything. I just want to know that I can do everything, even if it's like the hardest thing. And so I remember I initially actually didn't want to go to college. And my parents are both professors. So they were like, what are you doing? Of course you're going to college. Of course. And I was like, well, yeah. if I'm going to go to college, I'm going to go to the hardest college. And so, you know, I ended up applying to only one school and mm -hmm. I got in and I got into Harvard. So, you know, that's Harvard? kind of always, yes, Harvard. Harvard. Never, never heard of it. I'm kidding. Oh, uh, well, you know. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, and then I also have the issue of, I see a whole bunch of things I think are hard and I want to do them all at the same time, which also drives people nuts. Yeah. So, you know, along with trying to finish my bachelor's degree at Harvard, you know, I'm also competing in a sport judo that I started because I understood it was hard and there were people that actively didn't think I should do it. Right. So, and that's, you know, training every single day, at least once or twice, you know, for hours and hours and hours takes a lot of time. And then I also, you know, for me, my favorite accomplishment is that I've been able to be an adult that does not monetarily rely on, you know, my parents or anyone else, which makes me feel great. Heck yeah. Because um, there's no one that can be like, oh, but I'm paying for her. No, nothing. Good. <laughs> you know, I have my own sponsors and they help, but, you know, I'm, you know, I have contracts. I do work for them and all of that. And so, you know. I make my own money. I can spend it how I like. So it goes toward me trying to pursue what I think is a difficult, you know, school or whatever. And then me trying to pursue a difficult sport and trying to get to the highest level in that sport. And I, I, I pick up random projects all the time because I'm like, you know what? That would be really cool. Is it going to be time consuming? Yes. Do I have the time? Absolutely not. But yeah. we're going to try it anyway. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> That's why you think physical like working out resonates with so many people, you know, pretty much you can use that analogy for everything is because there's so many things that happen during that time, whether it be going to Harvard, whether it be doing um, a working out or whatever, is that first of all, you say you're going to do something and uh -huh. then you go do it. So you give a little pat on your back there. And then, you know, you start to go to, go to school and you get, get a good grade or you start to go to judo and you get that perfect throw. Then you have progress. Mm -hmm. And so you, now yeah. you feel good physically inside and so there's all these things. So doing something that's difficult has so many more 
benefits to the individual than I think people realize because you always focus on the negative first, it seems like. So. It's just fun because I, I feel like people often don't realize that the true challenge is that normally things that are incredibly hard to do take a long time to do. And you have nothing to show for it for a very long time. Yeah. And so people will question you and be like, what are you doing, Nicole? <laughs> nothing has happened. Right. You know, you haven't done anything. And you're like, no, I'm working on it. Just give me a couple more years. And yep. it's, you know, it's years at a time. You've got nothing to show for it. And you're like, God. But you know, you know for yourself that it will be worth it. But everyone else has a has has doubts. Yeah. So that I think is the hardest part for that, sure. I think that's really, really huge because nowadays we get everything in instance. You know, yes. anything that you want, <laughs> I can have a meatball sub, a six pack of beer, and my friend all come here in the matter of six seconds by texting or Grubhub or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you want all these things real fast and people forget that. Good things take time. A, really, a good oh, yeah. relationship takes time. Being great at judo takes time. Finishing Harvard takes time. And I think it's this weird um, thing that we're missing or a disconnect in our brain because what do you mean? I want everything right now, right now, right now. Give me right. a pill. Give For me sure. a pill. But realize that the best things in life usually take the most effort in oh, life. Yeah. And so I'm so glad, glad that you said that so everyone can kind of relate. <laughs> so it's really, really cool. Uh, is this something I have to deal with all the time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You've had a, a really cool coach there, Pat Burris, correct? Uh, Pat Burris was my first coach, first, actually. First coach, that's right. Yeah, so he's the one that helped convince me to start judo. I remember, because he was, my brother and my dad were in judo, and I was this little 13-year-old, you know, that was doing gymnastics, and I went and competed in Russia, had a horrid time of it, came back, and was like, I'm done with the sport, I'm finally done. And I remember I used to watch their judo practices because I found it interesting. And the Pat Burris, the coach, was just he was just so nice. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved him. And so I remember I went over after I came back and he was like, oh, how'd your trip go? And I was like, hmm, not good. Um, and so he was like, oh, well, then you should try judo. And I was like, "Ooh, yeah, I don't know kind of not my thing and he was like yeah but think about it you have a totally different background than everyone else you know you'll have probably a beautiful uchimata you're so flexible and i was like you know what you're right i love the idea of that glory in my head now yeah. i have to do it and that's when you know i got into the car with my dad and i turned to him because i always got shotgun because i was older and so I, I sat down and i turned to him and i was like hey can i start judo and he was like uh -huh, no uh <laughs> and then that conversation happened so that's thanks to Pat Burris. He was my first coach. I only got to have him for about a year because I moved a lot. And so we ended up moving to Florida. Then we found my second coach who was Sasaki. And he's the Japanese coach I had for five years. And then for the last two going on, I guess, two and a half is Jason Morris. And he's a four-time Olympian. Oh, wow. Uh, silver Olympic medalist. Um, he's the reason I moved to New York. I've lived here now for two and a half years training under him. He's super, he's known for being, you know, incredibly, incredibly technical, yeah. beautiful judo. And he's at every single practice, which really matters to me because for some reason there are other coaches out there that only come every once in a while, just have like their older mm -hmm. students teach. Sure. But I'm someone that needs the coach there every single day to yell at me and be like, what are you doing? This is incorrect. Right. So he's perfect. <laughs> So how many how many days a week do you practice? 
Let's see. So Monday, Monday evening, Tuesday morning, Tuesday evening, Wednesday evening, Thursday evening, Friday morning, Friday evening, Saturday morning. Sometimes there's a Saturday evening and then there's sad or Sunday morning. So everyone listen, you want to be be a professional? Do you have that type <laughs> of work ethic? I just I, I just love hear, hearing that because here you have just this credible judo individual athlete, a scholar now at Harvard, and people think that it's when they meet you or when people see the outside or the Instagram, they go, oh, yeah, that's really cool. I would like to do that. But they don't realize the sacrifice and the time that professionals like you put in to get to your level. And so I, that's why I yeah. like to talk to people like you and, and ask those questions so people go, oh, my God, I can't believe – I barely oh. brush my teeth that many times, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's fun too, because I don't know any other club in the country that has more practices than we do. We no. have the most by far because <laughs> nobody wants to practice on the weekend, but mm -hmm. here we are. <laughs> so you're getting ready for the Olympics in 2020. What's one thing that you're excited about? And what's one thing that you're a little scared of? Well, what's always scary is that the selection process for the Olympics doesn't happen until spring 2020, which is right on top of us, which is oh, wow. absolutely horrifying how fast this year has gone by. Yeah. And then, of course, the very real possibility that because the selection process is incredibly difficult to meet the, the, the requirements, um, it's a very real possibility that I won't go. And so... I'll just have to be training for another four years until 2024 to try to make it again. Mm -hmm. So, of course, that's very scary. But sure. at the same time, I just try to look at the positives. And that is I appreciate the fact that I'm young enough that I can then continue to try again for 2024. And if I really want to stretch it, 2028 and I'll be in my 30s. Yeah. So, you know, and I also appreciate that the average age for Olympians for judo is steadily going up. You oh, know, good. so that also increases my chances. So that's yeah. nice. My favorite part is I have a passport full of stamps. I have seen so many countries. That's it's so amazing. Cool. I think if I had to guess uh, the number of countries I've seen so far, it's like either early 30s or low, like uh, late, late 20s, like maybe like 28, 30, somewhere around that's there. So many places. countries. So I've got to see you know, see a lot of cool places, got to meet a lot of really cool people, met, been invited to some really cool places to train. And so I, I feel like the connections and the experiences, because that's, that's something that people always say, oh, I wish I traveled more. I haven't even left my town, right. you know, which is, I can't even imagine that. But, yeah. and for me, I was traveling by myself at 11 years old. Whoa. I traveled to my first foreign country by myself at 13. So this is a very... You know, wow. this is a concept I, I grew very familiar with that is often foreign to other people. So traveling has become very second nature to me. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> so right. I, I think that's probably the biggest positive is I get to be like, yeah, look, I'm traveling all the time. It looks so glamorous on paper. Uh, <laughs> throughout this conversation and, um, like I said, doing some research on, on you, you do something that is so admirable is that you always seem to find the positive in things. Just in what you just said, one of the things that you're scared of most is not making it. But then sure. instead of you going, oh, my God, my life's over. I can't believe I got to wait another four years. You go, oh, I just get to train and get better. For sure. Coolest thing about this podcast is when I get to talk to people like you, uh -huh. you do so many great things. People that sit in your chair across the, the way from me do so many great things that they don't really know that they're doing it. But that is so 
huge and so ma- massive. And so even though it's it's maybe second nature to you, it's really important to all the uh, other people listening and stuff like that say, hey, yes, this is a crappy thing that may happen or an unfortunate thing, but there is a good to it. There's good in mm-hmm. something. It's just all of your perspective. That's really, oh, really, really, really cool. That's a very, very cool characteristic. I need to do that more. Yeah, I feel like... <laughs> At this point, I, I just do it automatically, just trying to find the positive. Just because there's always so much happening. If you are just, if you're just gonna get stuck on one negative point, there's, I've already overloaded my schedule. I don't have time to get stuck on a small mishap or something went wrong. I just have to figure it out as efficiently as possible and get right back to the show. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I know we're kind of coming in close and I just got a couple other questions for you. But before I do that, I know you got a lot of stuff going on in your life. So tell the listeners Mm -hmm. what you got going on. Where can everybody find you? All that jazz. All right. So I do have a website. It is NicoleStout.com or .net, whatever floats your boat. Um, I have an Instagram. You're free to follow. Most of my accounts on pretty much everything are Nicole Stout Judo. So you can just, you know, plug that in, see what comes up. I am starting a YouTube channel slash podcast channel. Cool. It is called The Judo Tea. So I am hoping to release that next, uh, maybe beginning of next year, I think is a, a very safe goal right now. But I will be interviewing a whole bunch of uh, judo players in all different walks of life. I really want to bring attention toward women in judo and really be able to connect with that. There is no female-run judo podcast that exists right now. You so are I, just, the first. I really want to bring attention to that. Uh, you can still see my interviews with Oxygen Magazine at oxygenmagazine.com slash womanstrong. You'll see me, Nicole Stout, with yeah. my little profile. You can go. You can see a whole bunch of random stuff about me. My interviews, uh, a recipe I shared, the music I listen to, a whole bunch yes. of random yes. stuff. I also want, you can also find me at team.carnison.com. That is my wonderful sponsor. It is a beta alanine supplement. So it helps with recovery and, you know, not feeling the lactic acid so fast. And I have a whole profile on there that details a whole bunch of my accomplishments, mm-hmm. you know, more interviews cool. <laughs> and, you know, other cool stuff. So feel free to check any of those guys out. That, uh, that supplement, who would that be good for in kind of when, when is to, to take that? What, what does that kind of do it's, for you? You know, it's kind of amazing because they did, a, uh, you know, all the studies on these have found that it's good for everyone. You know, okay. it's great for uh, recovery, which meant that they found it was fantastic for the elderly population, you know, because they constantly need that. And it's great for, you know, even the average person that goes to the gym every once in a while because you have to take it every day. It binds with the histidine in your muscles if you really want to get sciencey about it. The beta-alanine binds with the histidine, and what it does is it blocks uh, the lactic acid that starts to build up in your muscles so you don't feel it as fast, which, you know, leads yeah. into longevity and better better cardio. Okay, cool. Uh, I actually asked that just for uh, selfish re- reasons, so uh, I need to get some <laughs> other other recovery. The uh, cryotherapy and doesn't seem to do the trick sometimes when I get, uh, get my ass whooped at, uh, at class. So. <laughs> We all need all the help we can get in martial arts, that's for sure. That's for sure. And it's, you know, martial arts is so funny because once you think that you're any sort of good whatsoever, and then you go up against somebody that's really good, then you're like, I am so terrible. I can't believe this. (laughs) Really good ego deflating real quick. Oh, for sure. That's exactly what happened to me when I moved to New York. I was like, oh, I'm great. And then I went with everyone here. I was like, ooh, I don't know anything. I got some work to do. (laughs) Ah. So last question here before I let let you go. So 
if you're going to give some advice, you said it a couple times in our conversation here. If you're going to give some advice to a, a young gal or or someone older than you that's struggling with body image issues or someone said something negative, what advice would you? Everyone deals with body image issues. That yeah. is for sure. You know that super pretty model you just saw walk by? She has something she doesn't like about her body. And I guarantee you, it's a lot more than just one thing. Mm -hmm. um, everyone has issues. You just have to really appreciate that your body functions. You know, it holds all my organs in really nicely. It also allows me to do the sport that I do. Yeah. You know, there's lots of things I can I can dislike, but you know, other people either don't see it or they don't care. And honestly, as long as it doesn't hinder me every single day in my life, my body does what it's supposed to do, and I love it for that. You know, yeah. I don't worry about, you know, I'm in a sport that weighs me. Mm -hmm. So I have to get on the scale every single day. And that's very easy to get kind of caught up in like, oh, my gosh, the number went up. Oh, my God, that's not good. Uh. Um, <laughs> but you just have to look at it more. You have to kind of take your emotions out of it a little bit. You're not like, oh, I'm getting fat. You know, you don't think about that. You just think, okay, all right. So for my competition, I just got to bring the numbers down a little bit. And that's, you know, healthy eating. And when you know that you're you know, eating healthy, you're working out and you're taking care of it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just what you're naturally supposed to be. This is just your body. You're like a natural animal living in the world. And this is just you, you know, you've never gotten mad at a dog for being chubby. Right. No, they're just more cute because of it. That yes. is you. You have to yeah. see yourself like that. <laughs> that is so, so cool. I hope all everybody can take that that advice because uh, as much as men don't want to say we have body image is issues as well yeah. so that's some really really good advice well my friend you are a uh, extremely positive person I love talking to you make uh, you have the type of energy that you know when people get around you you instantly make people happier I can just tell oh, really really the sweetest thing really really cool and on top of that you're super intelligent Harvard you're a kick-ass chick you're gonna Go to 2020 Olympics and just slaughter everybody over there, and you for sure are an overcomer. And I just really, really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on here. I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you. Aww. I appreciate you for having me. That was super sweet. I don't yeah. know how to respond to compliments very well, but thank you. You got it. You got it. Cool.